Welcome to the Stott Legacy. He is within us. He shares in the pain. We must not ask God to change his timetable because we're getting a little bit impatient. Or think of the beginning of the first letter of Peter. John Stott was born on 27th of April 1921. And in this, the centenary year of his birth, we're meeting different people around the world who either knew him or who were influenced by him. Please join me, Mark Mannell, as month by month we explore different aspects of the extraordinary life, ministry and legacy of Uncle John. It's actually hard to know where to begin to describe the career of Robert Abuaji Mensah. To say it's been varied feels rather like an understatement. He's a theologian and scholar, a pastor and leader, a thinker for the church and the public square. His career culminated in his being appointed the presiding bishop of the Methodist Church in his native Ghana in 2003. But he also has vast experience of ministry in various other parts of the world, including seasons in the Gambia, teaching at all nations in the UK, and being a research fellow at Yale Divinity School in the United States. He has served in various roles with the World Council of Churches and has published several works. But through it all, a constant thread has been that of John Stott. It was uh, in the year 1977. Was that in Ghana? No, in the Gambia. I left uh, the Trinity Theological Seminary, in those days Trinity College, as a student, passed and started my ministry as a Methodist minister in Ghana. Mm -hmm. And that one was 1973, 273 to 76. I was in a place, the church stationed me at a place called Esikadu in the second D uh -huh. section. And then after three years, the church then uh, decided to send me to the Gambia huh. uh, to work with the Methodist church in the Gambia, which was then under the conference of the Methodist uh, Great Britain. So I was sent there actually in 1976, uh, October, as uh, a Methodist minister. Right. It was during that time in the 77, that uh, John came to West Africa for an evangelistic tour. Right. And I was part of the committee in the Gambia that was to uh, organize for his coming. And I was given a very important job to drive him around. Aha. Uh -huh. In my uh, Renault 4, not uh, in a Mercedes or anything. You know Renault 4? I do, I do. <laughs> and John didn't mind at all staying with me in a Renault 4. You know? Fantastic. Uh -huh. And I, I, I bet he encouraged you to do some bird watching. Well, I will come to that. <laughs> <laughs> of course. What John, what John did, uh, when I was driving him around, I, I actually told him, that I've been reading some of his books, which he got uh, excited when I was a student at uh, Trinity uh, College. Mm -hmm. So he asked me what my plans were. And I told him, you know, my, I, I wanted to see if it was possible to go to Emory, University of Emory in U.S. Uh -huh. to, to study. And then John looked at me and said, um, if I'm able to find you uh, 
a college or an institution in Britain where you can do your theological training, will you be prepared to go? Because sometimes when people go to America, they never come back. And I said, oh, I'll be quite happy to do that. So he promised me he will work on that. And interestingly, when he came back to, he went back to Britain, mm-hmm. he connected me with St. John's College in Nottingham. Do you think he was right about that? Do you think, do you think people who went to the States did stay? Well, some, most of them didn't come back, and I think it was right. But <laughs> what was interesting is that's how the relationship actually began. And then uh, he then made, uh, found me uh, a place at St. John's College in Nottingham. And that's where I started. Well, I had by then finished my theological training in Ghana, the Trinity Theological College. Uh, uh-huh. And then this was... Uh, kind of continuing my ministerial training. So this was a master's level in Nottingham, was it? No, I started with BTH. Uh-huh. Because I, I did a licentiate in theology in, in uh-huh. Ghana. I see. And so I did uh, uh, my BTH there in mm-hmm. Nottingham. Um, it, was, it was great. For one reason, George made sure that uh, my family, my wife joined me. Right, because he said he didn't want a, a situation where you train somebody to be a minister, stay away for two, three years without a family. Indeed, and then that breaks a family relations. And he was so kind that um, that time, well, my wife and I we didn't have a child then. In fact, I don't know if you've seen a copy of the book or that was did uh, Chris Wright? Yes, on John Stott. A portrait yes. by his friends. Indeed. If you've seen that book, if you turn to some of the pages where they have pictures from mm-hmm. uh, page 64, you turn in this John sitting there with a, a, a small African boy, a child sitting on his lap. Uh-huh. And that is our, our son. Fantastic. Uh, that that's, the picture was taken when we were at the Hooksies. Oh, uh, great! So you you spent what so, a couple of years in in Nottingham. So we were there in Nottingham from seventy uh, eight to I was there for three years. I did my BTH, mm-hmm. and then after that, by God's grace, the exam results were quite good. Good. So John discussed with that it would be good if I can go to, I did some work on Carbat for my long uh-huh. essay when I was at uh, uh, St. John's College in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. So I, I got interested in looking at Bart and the way he related to the situation in, the, in Germany at that time about right. uh, Hitler mm-hmm. and how the church was such a, a problem. The church leaders joining Hitler and all that. And it was then right. that uh, Kabat set up uh, something confessing church. Uh, with Bonhoeffer and co. Good. In fact, uh, Kabat and Bonhoeffer were very close. He, he actually mm-hmm. asked Bonhoeffer to leave the uh, US and come and join him. Right. So so it when I w- finished my uh St. John's College in Nottingham, after I've done some little uh, something on uh, Kabat, 
I de developed an interest in looking at the place, how the church can work in the areas of church-state relations, mm -hmm. what the churches can learn, especially churches in Africa. So I decided right. to do my PhD on that. So um, did you sense that there were particular challenges back in Ghana and, and wider field in Africa in terms of state relations at this time? I mean, this is the 1970s. Yes. In fact, that was some of something that I really uh, felt uh, that we needed to talk about. But, you know, in those days, for me, I thought being an evangelical and so on, that there was mm -hmm. no need to look at politics. And at right. that time, James yes. Torrance was then the professor there in Aberdeen. He was teaching uh, systematic theology. He was the professor there. He was taught by Calbat. So we felt that it would be an opportunity for me to continue my study on Karbat, on church and state relations and so on. So that's how, and then John was very excited <laughs> because one of the things he occasionally would tell, talk about was that he wants some of us to be trained African leaders and we stay in Africa. Now, uh, when you did that, you... Were you, you, you became a Langham scholar then, didn't you? Yes. In fact, that is where my PhD, uh, John assured me that uh, Langham, mm -hmm. those days it was Langham Trust. They will all take care of my academic, the cost, and as well as our family. It was during that time that we had our son, Kwame. So we moved with him and I said to Aberdeen. Kwame, Kwame was then a baby. So um, Aberdeen must have been a bit of a culture shock for you. Yes. Well, the <laughs> weather was one of their <laughs> shocks. <laughs> Even though we have been in Nottingham and we thought Nottingham, thought Nottingham was cold <laughs> as compared to, was compared to Ghana, suddenly we find ourselves in Scotland. Yes. In Aberdeen in the winter. Aha. Mm. Uh -huh. So you will find <laughs> that it doesn't matter how much you put on, you can still feeling your tummy that something is shaking you know so, so there wasn't a great danger of you staying on in Aberdeen afterwards was there <laughs> no John made sure that we were also taken care of good during break time we would come to London sometimes we went with him to the hooks mm -hmm. and we went to the hooks uh, several times with him anytime we went there it was like being at home mm. John made us feel my wife and our Kwame really accepted and been there. One day, one time when we went there, we spent almost about more a week or two almost mm -hmm. there with him. And one of the experiences that I still remember very well that John took me with him. We went to a place where he would normally go there, very quiet place up up on the mountain, facing mm -hmm. the, the 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 sea uh, to pray. Oh. I still have the emotions there. Mm. We, we, we spent about an hour or more just praying and so on. And then he shared something with me that one of the reasons is take the measured Langham Trust takes on that we will be leaders, uh, church leaders in Africa. Mm -hmm. Because he's so much concerned about the future of the churches in the, the, the two-thirds world. Mm. Uh, and and that Africa is one of such places. Indeed. So we really talked 
and prayed. And after we spent some time, two of us there on top of that place and facing the sea, when we, we walked down, it was for me like an experience of the disciples, you know, <laughs> with Christ on that day. So we on came down to hook down. And then yes. he said, he, he always called me Kwesi. Kwesi is my name that I was born on a Sunday. He never uh -huh. called me Robert. Even though I was Robert, he always called me Kwesi. And he said, Kwesi, we've now gone to pray, but work to is part of worship. So he went for a pickaxe and we pulled someone to go and do some gardening. Fantastic. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> as I look back, walking down from that hill and coming mm -hmm. down to do actually cleaning up and gardening and so on, it's like, the transmigration soft story, you know. <laughs> we've, been to get, we've been together in the presence of the Lord mm. and then come to work. And that story still stays with me. So was and that something surprising to you at the time? Do you remember um, how, did this change your expectations or anything in terms of your relationship with him? It did. It really brought us, if you like, closer John mm -hmm. made me feel, and later on I found that I was not the only person. He made me feel that we were the only family that he really loves. Mm. Until we met the others and also told similar stories. <laughs> um, but John made us feel that we are part of the family. He, he, that, that was how he did. And when we were talking about bed watching, he tried occasionally to talk to me about work, bed watching and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, when we came down from this uh, experience, what he to told me that, Kwesi, uh, I have tried to get you interested in bed watching, but you don't seem to get it. <laughs> I laughed. Unfortunately, I couldn't tell him what I had actually written in this. It's a book I've, I've written on Jenny on the, uh, the, the title of the Jenny in Faith. And in the last <laughs> chapter, is something I have written about my experience with John Stott. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, he, that he reminded me of, the title of that is Reminded of Your Sincere Faith. Mm, mm. This was when he died and we actually had a service here to celebrate what he's done. Mm, so mm. John told me he's surprised I'm still not being keen on bed watching. Mm -hmm. And what I, as I said at that time, I couldn't tell him was that you know, me, I wasn't brought up to watch beds. I was brought up to, you know, to kill beds as a sign that you are growing and you are now a mature person. You can even kill a bed and that sort of thing. I still remember the first bed I killed, you know. Mm -hmm. So when John did that, I really smiled and uh, I should have told him that story. <laughs> I thank God later, I became interested uh, uh, in, in uh, things that has to do with the environment and so on. Robert explained that he's now the vice chair for the board of trustees of Arosha in Ghana. Now, Arosha is an international organization founded by a number of people with John Stott's full backing, an organization that engages communities in nature conservation. And Robert says that John directly influenced his views on these issues. And he's now involved in pushing the Ghanaian government not to destroy the environment. 
I went on to ask Robert whether he was nervous when he first met John. No, you see, John was somebody that really made you feel uh, that is it is it acceptable? As I've told mm -hmm. you, I was driving in a, him in a mm. Renault four car. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Most people wouldn't want to. What if you've come to a place and you want you know somebody? He would prefer maybe a bigger and nicer, you know. But John would sat with me in a room for he made actually he made me feel relaxed. Good, yes. Anytime we met, mm. I mean, I that would be the common testimony for so many people. Ah, okay, and that's mm. what I was saying that at that time I thought that perhaps he loved our family more than anybody else. Mm. And then I started hearing stories about others and found that we were not the in fact that was John. That was Uncle John. We called him Uncle John. Mm. That was Uncle John. Did you we, get to know some of the other Langham scholars who were studying in Britain that time? Yeah, we, I got to know one or two of them, some of them from India and others. Unfortunately, I don't remember the names mm -hmm. and, and some from, but by God's grace, he, at some point, he made me, I was a member of the, the committee, Langham committee that interviewed students for the scholarship. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So I imagine that when you um, had your Langham scholarship, it was still quite early days, maybe the first 10 years of the program. There were not many yes. people who were in your position. No, but yeah, I mean, that's again, something that, you see how I, John and I came to meet in the Gambia I mean, if I mm -hmm. can take it, there's still the story a little back. Yes. When I, I, I was uh, being uh, trained I, I, in a secondary school in Ghana in the sixth one and so on, I was doing uh, science mm -hmm. and with the intention of going to going to the medical school. To go, and then I had a call into the ministry. And so really struggling what to do. Mm -hmm. So my this concern was really to improve my academic work. Mm -hmm. So after the three years, when, as I said, I finished in Ghana, I wanted really to go to the university in Ghana, mm -hmm. uh, Legon, another place. But mm -hmm. my church insisted that I was called first and foremost to work as a minister in the church and I'm needed in the Gambia. Right. And that time I wasn't too happy about it. But then someone had spoken to me and nurtured me saying that once I'm in the ministry, whatever the church wants me to go, I should put my own personal things aside. Uh -huh. My desire to improve, my, get my degrees and so on. And interesting, and, and it's for me where the guidance and the leading of the Lord comes in my life. It was then that as a John in 77, 1977, uh -huh had this West African evangelistic tour and I was to drive him. And then he asked me about my future. And before I was aware, then mm. find myself in St. John's College in Nottingham and then to Aberdeen, you know, to do a PhD. Amazing so, how these things turn out. So you see, if I had been stubborn, which I was going to be, but by <laughs> God's grace, <laughs> Well, that's, that's great. <laughs> and then by going there, meeting John, and the door mm. just opened. The desire mm. to, you know, to have academic qualification and so on started. And then before I was aware, what really I've been praying, what does the Lord want me to do? 
became something very helpful. Mm. Because when I did this study on and uh, John's uh, on Karbat, when you know when I came back to Ghana, I was working with the Christian Council of Ghana mm -hmm. when I was still teaching at Trinity, and later on it became the General Secretary of the Christian Council. Then I realized how much the Lord was actually preparing me when I took up to do the church and state, because that's right. the church and state relations. Yes. And, and again, it's John. John was, when I told him what I wanted to do, he said, since we've been praying about things, whatever the door opens, I should be ready to do. So as a result of your studies going back, what do you yes. think the, the biggest challenges were in the whole church-state relationship, yeah, in Ghana of, particularly? Yeah, well, first, the challenge of how should the church leaders relate with the political leaders without surrendering mm -hmm. are the freedom and things of the gospel mm -hmm. to politicians. And then, right. that's where I find my study of Kabat uh, very helpful. Indeed. By God's grace, he, he used us at the Christian Council and the, and the Catholic Bishop Conference. We're working together on national issues. Mm -hmm. And then we managed to bring the Ghana Pentecostal Council also together with, the, with us as a team. Mm -hmm. And it, we actually went on to the extent that we even got some of the Muslim leaders who were interested how we establish the peace in Ghana also mm -hmm. be part of this. Yeah. And later on, when by God's grace, I became the head of the Methodist Church Ghana, as that one also, you know, the preparation was just as if, as John was also, and he was excited when he heard that this is how far the Lord has been leading us. And occasionally he will invite us to, uh, to all nations, uh, you know, all nations college. Yes, in, in um, just north of London. Uh -huh. I, I, I went to teach there for two years as part of uh -huh. my preparation. And that time, John used to come there for us to meet. Right. So. Now, my understanding is that in the 80s, of course, Ghana was ruled by military dictatorship. Is that right? Yes, yes. So the challenge of how the church relates to that is very acute and therefore very similar well, similar issues, perhaps, yes. to, to Bart and Bonhoeffer. Yes. In fact, that is whereby, as I said, and looking back, it was as if the Lord was preparing me for this, even though, as I said, some of us from our early evangelical think, we thought that the church, all that you have to do is evangelism and not, you know, things to do with mm. politics. We thought they were not part. Then suddenly, right. studying... Uh, Kabat and the socialism and so on. Gradually, uh, the Lord led us. And mm -hmm. then when I came back, suddenly I realized why, you know, we had to go through all that. And mm -hmm. some of the issues you are discussing uh, about, uh, because when we came, uh, the, the military were in charge. Rawlings mm -hmm. and his team were in charge of this country. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like? So, I mean, he died last year, didn't he? But he was yes. in power for what, 20 years or something? Oh, we, yeah, he was in charge for 19 years as they had. Well, when we came back, the big problem was uh, how to 
as a nation to go back to uh, party politics instead of having him there still ruling. And oh, one of the challenges that the Christian Council of Ghana, the Ghana uh, Catholic Conference and mm -hmm. the Ghana Pentecostal Council and others, we were concerned that how do we really get back mm. to the whole, yes. I wrote a book on mission and democracy in Africa, the rule uh -huh. of the church, which I'll discuss some of these issues and the way I went through. And I'm happy that the investor of Yale have uh -huh. become interested in the book and they've been using it very extensively. That's wonderful. I mean, I will attribute most of this to John because John had a patience when he found that my, this was my interest. He actually let me read in some of the things he has written in those areas and so on. That mm -hmm. really encouraged me. Mm -hmm. John was insistent that uh, the mission of church is not just about evangelism, that evangelism right. is the first, first step, as it were, to discipleship. Indeed. Indeed. And being involved in social issues is also part of the gospel and part of our responsibilities. Did you encounter much hostility or opposition from other church leaders when you were trying to say as a church we need to engage with this stuff in in ghana not so much with the church leaders as with the politicians who were making us feel that the huh. church is still about religion and the politics and things should be left to them right uh, but we in in ghana one of the things that we can thank god for is that the churches that the catholic and the Christian council member churches like Methodist, Presbyterians, Lutherans, and so on, AME, Zion, I'm very mm -hmm. much committed that we have something to do with social issues. Right. That we cannot stay away from them. So they don't have the European disease of the sacred-secular divide? We, we didn't have that. We had this commitment that yes. we have a role to play in that. So did people who, who in churches and in, say, the council you were on and led um, face danger from the government, particularly as a military dictatorship, they're not necessarily known for being careful or, or moderate? <laughs> no, we, we actually, there was a big uh, challenge. Sometimes we had some threats and so on, either as individuals or as, uh, as a church. Did you personally? Yes. Some of them, but uh, I wouldn't like to give more details of that. Of course, yes, of course. Well, some, but there were times when you, of course, some of them news in the, you get a people, politicians insulting and all that, that your job is to be, take care of churches and not to be involved in the politics yes. and so on. And Don't then we will, with us. we will respond that, in fact, uh, Christ came to die for the world, and the world includes political ar arena as well. Indeed, indeed. He, he did not just come to die for the souls of many. God so loved the world. Can you perhaps capture um, in just a few thoughts how, how you would go about that engagement with those sorts of governments? I mean, it, it's... If you've not lived under that kind of regime, it's hard to imagine where you even begin. Yeah, okay, let me just a little part of the story. So the first thing we did as churches 
was to think of what are the things that unite us as churches, because we found that the politicians are trying to divide the Christian community. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say, the Christian, in the Christian Council, we decided to work with a very important principle that as Christian communities, we should look at the things that unite us mm-hmm. instead of looking at the things that divide us theologically. Right. And we find that one of the areas we can meet together is on Trinitarian issues. And this is where, again, uh, my thesis for my PhD was on sociopolitical thinking of Karl Barth, right. Trinitarian and incarnational Christology as the ground for his social action I see. and its implication for us today. So I'm quoting this because when we had in some they, we found that the politicians were di- dividing the Christian front. Mm-hmm. We realized that what really unites us, that doesn't matter what uh, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in Christ through whom we, we are together. And so we should focus more on what unites us as a, a body of Christ and address social issues than allowing the politicians to divide us as a, a Christian yes. group. And when we did that, it really prepares us and the politicians now couldn't get the Christians hitting our heads together. Right. Because we would issue a statement signed by either the general secretary or the chairman of the Christian Council of Ghana and that of the Catholic Secretariat and that of the Ghana Pentecostal Council. And when they realized that we, the church is so united mm. in this matter, it was very difficult for the politicians, especially in the time when Rawlings was in power to divide mm. it, uh, us. And that for me really helped us. There's and an I'm important so- lesson there, isn't there? Because I guess um, particularly when things get difficult, um, culturally and politically in a, in a place, um, it's so common and tragic for the church to splinter and um, easily divide, isn't it? Yes. In fact, as I say, that's what we've, we felt, that that's what the politicians wanted to do. It was in the but politicians' I, interest to be divided. <laughs> good. So that we'll be fighting each other. And I learned that, yes. I said, from uh, the way Hitler was able to get the church leaders together and use them here we decided we will come together against yes as it were uh, the the politicians it's true isn't it that the confessing church ended up being very small in germany yeah yes in those days it was but later on the impact was great yes. but the the other side was where all the churches in uh, uh in in germany came together with hitler some lessons from this that we have to be careful as yeah. churches in Ghana fighting in this time when there was a, a military uh, leadership mm-hmm. that we do not allow ourselves to be divided as they were trying to, to, to do. Yes. So, but when they found we were so much united, uh, Mark, uh, what really was interesting was that the, the, in the political realm, they decided the politicians decided to come together and hit some like Christian Muslims. Okay. Uh, and you know, uh, in Ghana, um, one of the uh, things we are happy about is that the relationship with Christ, 
between Christian and Muslims is very good. Mm. So what a, what a blessing. We apply, yes, we apply the same principle that our, what is it that even unites us as Muslims, uh, uh, unites us Christians and Muslims? There are many mm. things that can divide us, but we work with the principle. What is it there that unites us, that on that we can work? Mm. And here again, I had a chance by God's grace with a team to go and see the head of the uh, Islamic community in Ghana. And when we went, we work with the principle. I, I shared with them, or we share with them, the idea that we are united in Abraham. Mm. Aha. Uh -huh. Even though whether it was Isaac is sacrificed or it was uh, Ishmael, the point mm -hmm. is that Abraham is our ancestor. So we played on the African concept of ancestorship. Right. In the race of theology. And then the chief imam was so happy with this. He said there is no way he also during his time, he will allow the politicians to divide the Christian front against mm -hmm. the Muslims or yes. yeah, hit us together. So he also came in and we form a body called Forum of Religious Bodies, where we were addressing right. national issues together like the Christians were doing. We decided not to have a constitutional anything. Mm -hmm. If there is an issue, we come together. How do we look at it from a different perspective? Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, when the HIV issue came, we worked together like that. Because we felt that HIV had no, doesn't have no respect for religion. Whether you're a Muslim or Christian. You of course. Uh -huh. Of course. So yep. that also, we came together, had a conference where we discussed how we can address these issues together. One of the things I've talked about with a number of people is just the strangeness of um um, a, a, an Englishman who was very much a man of his time, yes. having had such an extraordinary impact on Africa, particularly, yes. even though he never lived in Africa, he just visited. Yes. What do you think? What yes. do you think um, lies at the heart of that? Why do you think he was so influential? I mean, for me, this is what about John. John made me feel that the Christian faith is not just a theory you learn and so on. It's a life to be lived. The love of God has to be expressed in that relationship. In an email sent by uh, Reverend Dr. Christopher Wright, with the director of the Langham Partnership International, we were informed of his home call, mm. of John, uh, whom we affectionately actually call us, I said, Uncle John. You know, and one thing about John is that he will make you feel that the gospel has to unite us whether we, we are dealing with Christians or we have non-Christians amongst us, mm. it's not hating the one against the other. John, for me, if they say this in that really reminds me of and will stay with me, but how John related with us. Right. He didn't make you feel that you're an African, you cannot come closer to him. I mean, that is, you right. don't find that with John. No. And that was different from the colonial experience. Yes, in the colonial experience, how will I sit there driving a great man like that in the Renault 4, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, in your mind, those trips um, up and down the roads in your Renault 4 sums it all up. That's the image that most represents your relationship in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
And John will make you feel that, that's, let me repeat that, he'll make you feel that you are loved, that you are mm -hmm. so special, make you feel as if they all know one, you know, the others don't. And then you talk to others and tell you he's special. And uh, for me, he, he was my mentor. Wonderful. He, he was Paul and I was the Timothy. <laughs> That's a beautiful thought. And um, I, I think that there are many people who can echo that sentiment, but it's been lovely to hear from you uh, describing your experiences. So um, thank you so much indeed for the time you've given us. It's been such a treat. One of the most exciting projects that Langham Literature has been involved in has been the one-volume Bible commentaries. Now, such things are a fairly common phenomenon in Western seminary libraries and indeed on pastors' shelves, but they tend to be far too expensive and hard to get hold of for people in the majority world. So Langham Literature's program director, Peter Quant, and his team have been working for a number of years with various publishers around the world to develop equivalents of such books from different regions of the world, written by people from those regions rather than just a bunch of Western scholars, and then made commercially accessible and available to those people. And so far, there have been the Africa Bible Country, which has already been translated into several African languages, a Latin American commentary, a South Asian commentary, and very recently, the Central Eastern European commentary. So do pray for these and others in the pipeline to be greatly used to help scholars and pastors deepen their faith and understanding, but also to be a beacon and a shining light for showing the wealth of scholarship and insight that there is in the global church. Pray that these will be greatly used to inspire others to develop their skills and write in the future. Thank you so much for listening to The Stock Legacy. Thank you also to my Langham Partnership colleagues who have helped to make this podcast a reality. And special thanks to Vic Marseille from Langham Partnership UK and Ireland for all her hard work in editing and producing each episode. Please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, recommend it to friends, and above all, tune in next time. Until then, goodbye.